So you heard 1 Peter 3.18. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And then 1 Corinthians 15.1-4. We'll, we'll read this now uh, because we're going to refer to this. Um, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, in accordance with the scriptures. So as this is the series we're doing on the gospel. Um, and uh, those six points uh, from John Piper all come out of those two scriptures. Uh, and you're going to hear a lot more during this series, but this is our framework um, the gospel is a plan, and, and Jonathan preached on that yesterday. It's in accordance. Last Sunday. Last Sunday. It felt like yesterday. <laughs> I, I still haven't got over the tape worms. Um, <laughs> in accordance with the scriptures. You need to listen to the recording. It was something I would tell you. You can, you can have the slides as well. Uh, no, no. <laughs> the gospel is an event in history. Christ died. It's an achievement. He died for our sins. It's a free offer. It was preached to you. Actually, it has been preached to you too, as well as the Corinthians. It's applied to our lives, which you received. Uh, maybe you, you have received it. Maybe not all of you have yet. And it is to an end, to bring us to God So why are we doing this series on the gospel? Um, haven't you already received it? Aren't you already standing in it? Aren't you already being saved by it? Yes, but Paul says we need reminding. We need reminding. We need to make sure that we have not believed in vain. Yeah. And we need to hold fast to the word preached to us. Elsewhere, in Paul's letters, he warns about people who, who get duped by an alternate false gospel. It may even appear that that, that gospel has come from an angel from heaven, he says. But don't, don't be duped by a false gospel that isn't a gospel. Other people give up on the gospel when things get tough. Mm. When persecution comes. And others desert the gospel for other things. And, and it really is too easy to be distracted by other things. Even when we come together for worship, we can be distracted by the music. Uh, we can be distracted by the fact that we're meeting. Um, we can be distracted by mission programs. These are all beginning with them. And uh, mothers and toddlers. Uh, we can be distracted by Mo Farah. Um, Anything beginning with an M and every other letter of the alphabet can distract us. And we mustn't let anything distract us or draw us away from the message that was preached to us. And how can we tell others about the gospel if we don't know it ourselves? So today we're going to be looking at the gospel as an event in history and this is where I realise that I have completely the wrong notes and I'm going to plead for those back uh, because I obviously printed off the wrong thing yesterday sorry about that 
You've had a quick read, haven't you? Speed read. So, the gospel, an event in history. Uh, but that's already a bit of a problem for us, isn't it? it it's an event in history. I'm going to make it a problem if it wasn't a problem. <laughs> um, because Christ died, says Paul, but he also says he was buried. And that's a different event, isn't it? Uh, and he was raised on the third day. Well, that's a, a different event again. And elsewhere, people would say, well, he was born. The, 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 the angels came and said, this is the good news. Uh, Jesus has been born. Uh, and there's more good news. Is he's ascended. And he's now, you know, the writer of, the Reve- of Revelation. John wants us to know that Jesus is ascended and is king. Uh, so an event in history. Hmm. And then, of course, when Paul preaches elsewhere, he doesn't always mention that Christ died. Did you know that? In, in Acts 17, for example, he preaches a, a wonderful sermon, and he, and he talks about the resurrection, but he doesn't talk about the death. I suppose it implies the death of Christ, but he doesn't call it out specifically. And, and then there's the songs uh, we sing. There's a bit of confusion over the songs we sing. So Stuart Townend uh, has written the song, O to See the dawn of the darkest day. So there's an event on a day. Well, that's Christ on the road to Calvary. Then Evan Rogers, um, our, our South African, is he? Yeah. Uh, he's been at uh, the Brighton Conference and things. That wonderful song, The Greatest Day in All of Life, is not right yet now, but years gone by when Jesus came into the world. So he's thinking about the incarnation. And then Tim Hughes, the greatest day in history, death is beaten, you have rescued me. Sing it out, Jesus is alive. It's a song about the resurrection. So we do seem to have a little bit of confusion about you know, what is the event, what is the big event. Uh, John Piper says it is that Christ died. But there do seem to be a lot of other events. And it's interesting that uh, this has already been mentioned today. But if you think of the Olympics, uh, think of that split-second event where Usain Bolt crosses the line. That is an event. It's measured to a hundredth of a second. But it's also part of the 100 metres race. He's had to run for nearly 10 seconds to that moment. Um, but the whole Olympics is an event. It's the London 2012 Olympics, if you hadn't noticed. Um, it's an event made up of events, of which the pinnacle, the main event, the big event, the one that everyone's waiting for, the one that has the absolute prime time slot, is this hundredth of a second. But it's an event within an event within an event. Or what about this event? <laughs> one small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind, that one step off the ladder, and man sets foot on the moon. An event. Would we know about this event if there hadn't been years of preparation, if there hadn't been a blast-off event, if there hadn't been a journey out, uh, orbiting round the moon, and then the separation event, if there hadn't been a successful the eagle has landed event, And would we still be excited about this event if Neil Armstrong hadn't come back from the moon? But the event we remember, most of all, is the key one where he put his foot on the moon. But every other event associated with that is important and part of the story. But can you see how one event can be the central event? Every other event is still important, but this is the key event. All the Himalayas. Uh, you know about Mount Everest, so this is for you. Uh, you're not to get this wanderlust to go there, all right? As your father, <laughs> I command you. <laughs> uh, Everest, the highest mountain in the world. Um, K2, the second highest mountain in the world. But they are part of the Himalayas. Um, so there is this idea of one thing within another, but one thing which is the pinnacle.
So, the gospel is an event in history made up of many events but focused on one event. And Paul wasn't slipping up at Athens. No, he knew this. Uh, In Galatians, uh, he says, um, well-known verse, far be it from me that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Yes, he couldn't boast about the resurrection, but boast most in the cross. And in Paul's mind, the reason why Jesus is so great, and we've been singing his praises and talking about what an amazing saviour he is, it's his journey down... (laughs) to us remember that Philippians 2 he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul says, it's a a big thing to speak for God, isn't it? But he says the reason God has given Jesus the name above every name, is because of the cross. That's what God the Father thinks of the cross. The cross is central in his thinking about his son. Wow. So when Jesus is baptized and the voice comes from heaven, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, it's a father who knows where this road ends. And what event we're heading for. And just to to underline this, one more more point. We've already been to Revelation today in our our worship. But Revelation 5. The gospel summarized in two verses, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song. Saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you're the son because you reflect the father's glory no because you were slain and by your blood sorry you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation And you've made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they will reign on the earth. Now that is also the gospel. But can you see how Christ died is still central to that gospel? The gospel is much bigger than Christ died. But the pinnacle of the gospel is Christ died the theme of heaven I think this is the theme of heaven for eternity is never going to get it's never going to get tired of the cross because we are going to join in that song that says worthy is the lamb who was slain Jesus forever you will be the lamb upon the throne. Mm. Why a lamb? Because he's a lamb that was slain. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, as John told him. So there is a bigger picture, though, of God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. The gospel is about the kingdom of God and central to that is that Christ died so that we could enter that kingdom. 
And last, last week, Jonathan uh, helpfully pointed out that the tracks that we have on the, the, the table out there are not quite adequate enough. They, they are a, a, an opening for the gospel, but it, it's not uh, sufficient uh, just to say to someone that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Um, that, that isn't the full gospel. I hope you can see that the gospel is, is more than that. In fact, if somebody doesn't repent and believe the gospel, does God have a wonderful plan for them? Well, it's a glorious plan. It's not that wonderful for them. Um, nor is the gospel come to Jesus to fill the God-shaped hole in your life. Uh, you, do you feel you're lacking that little bit extra? Can we bolt on Jesus and uh, give you a little boost? Um, nor is it a guarantee of health, wealth and happiness. And yet to hear some preachers, you would think that was the case. Uh, you will never have a financial worry again. You will never be diseased again. And all your relationships will be perfect and glorious and wonderful. And if you can say it with another southern accent, even better. Nor is the gospel primarily, as, as Piper said, is it's not primarily about avoiding hell. Or about being reunited with our loved ones. It's to bring us to God. So that we can be perfectly God's people in God's place, under God's rule and blessing, in the kingdom of, of heaven on earth. So the gospel is an event in history made up of many events but focused on one event. So where do we read of the events that make up the gospel? Hint, it's in the name. Oh, in the Gospels. Oh, right, good. Um, this is a fragment of a Gospel. Um, this is where I'm going to get all emotional. No, this is a fragment that many scholars believe is dated to around... Well, some, they would generally agree, actually, that it's the 2nd century. That's AD 100 to AD 199, I guess. Um, a fragment of a copy of John's Gospel. I don't know if you can see that. It's chapter 18 and verses 31 to 33, if your Greek is good. Um, um, but quite a lot of scholars actually agree this is AD 125. So we're talking about history here. The Gospel, an event in history. It's documented and, and the, the wonderful thing about biblical archaeology is the longer we wait for Jesus to, to return, the more of these fragments turn up. And, and the more of them that turn up, the further and further back they go in history. Uh, and so that we, we, we haven't had fragments like this for very long, but now we do. There's even a fragment that currently that they're talking about Mark's Gospel could be AD 90 or even newer, even older rather than that. Um, so uh, these, these things are actually quite tangible. Now, uh, Steve and Lisa visited us uh, yesterday on their way to, uh, to, the, to Anglesey and uh, as a sort of um, shelter from the A55 for a while, they popped in for lunch. And, and uh, I told Steve about this and he said, we've seen this. You can go to the library of Manchester University and see this in a glass cabinet displayed. It's the Rylands uh, um, collection of papyri, uh, not paparazzi, papyri. And uh, this is, it's actually written on both sides. On the other side, for those who are interested, it's uh, John 18, 37 to 38. Um, and uh, I don't know about you, I find that really exciting. Uh, they say it wasn't written by a professional scribe. They say it was written by somebody uh, who was obviously a devoted follower of Jesus, who was obviously educated, but he, he didn't write particularly well. 
Um, so when I look at that, I see somebody that wanted people like us, after he'd gone, to read about what he'd read. I don't, have you seen the film Dead Poets Society? It's almost like you go up to this, this cabinet where this is, and he's saying, Carpe diem. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Those voices from the past, people that, that have been where we've been, who know something that they want to pass on to us. I think that's really exciting. I think it's really exciting to know that the gospel that we hold in our hand has been preserved by many, many people who've copied it faithfully. They might not have had perfect handwriting, but they've copied it faithfully so that when we pick up our Bibles today, we have a huge confidence in its accuracy because of the amount of work that's gone into it. The dedication that these people want us to know what they've written so that we can share something with them. Do you know why John wrote his gospel? Uh, not every Bible book explains why it was written, but John actually explains in chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, why he wrote his gospel. And he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now I think the scribe that wrote that the amateur scribe with his scruffy handwriting had the same desire. Mm. Isn't that exciting? When you pick up your Bible, men like that, educated people like that, wanted us to know the things that Jesus did and said so that we could have life. At the beginning of John's first letter, there's even more incentive for us, where John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and which appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John saw. He didn't just get a glimpse. He stared straight into the eyes of Jesus. He saw. He heard. He touched. This is historical. Not hysterical. It, it's events in history. You could have been there if you had a TARDIS. You could have been there. You could have turned up at that wedding in Cana of Galilee. You could have seen the kerfuffle over the wine running out. And you could have seen this, this lady go to this bloke and say, they haven't got any wine. And then there'd be all this 
little debate going on, what's going on there? And then suddenly you'd see people being told to fetch and fill water jars. You know, we, we've had four jars, four little glasses this morning. Jesus' idea of celebrating his kingdom event is huge stone glass, the huge stone vessels that were used for bathing in filled with the finest wine. So don't be reticent, as Nigel said, when you go and celebrate Jesus, because Jesus' idea is so much wine you could swim in it. Literally. And John says, we saw that, we touched it, we handled it. He says, at the end of that section, he says, we beheld his glory. He says, the disciples beheld his glory and put their trust in him. There are a load of other people, there are a lot of people in, in scholarship who write papers about papyri who never connect with John and what he really wanted them to get. Um, you may have read the Bible, but have you connected with John and what he wanted you to get? See, John says no one has ever seen God, but Jesus, the one and only, has revealed him to us. So you could go to that wedding at Cana, you could see it physically, but not everyone who saw it physically got the glory. But John did, and he wants you to see it. So when you read that story, he wants you to see the glory of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read the Gospels in that way. Where is the glory of Jesus in this? Or is this just a load of Sunday school stories that are strung together and I don't understand how they fit? Mm. They just seem a bit weird. Let's get on to Paul because he's much easier to understand. No, the Gospels are full of the historic events that tell the story of the good news of the kingdom of God. But where do they head? And that's really uh, what I want to do for the rest of our time. Uh, Could you turn to Mark's Gospel, please? We're just going to go on a whistle-stop tour for 10-15 minutes. And uh, what I want you to do is to see the glory of Jesus and to see someone you can trust. But see that he's also... A man on a mission. Verse 1, chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark says, this is good news. This is good news. It was such good news that it needed an announcer. So John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way. There's the baptism of Jesus. Have you ever stopped to wonder what that looked like? John has said, come and be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins and Jesus steps forward what is going on there what is Jesus doing and then Jesus is driven out into the wilderness and tempted where he faces Satan and wild animals Mark tells us and then just to get a a feel for how hostile the environment is Mark says after John was arrested he'll tell us in a couple of chapters time what that resulted in Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of God the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent and believe the good news uh, some people would say that, that Jesus didn't actually come to preach, uh, but that he came so that, to die so that there was something to preach about. But that's not true. Jesus did come pro- proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we get really confused, I think, when we read through the Gospels and we think, well, all, what was all this stuff for? Couldn't he just go to the cross now and die, please, and rise again and ascend? Wouldn't that be the Gospel? 
No, there must be a reason why he does these things. He is proclaiming the kingdom. He's saying, this is what my kingdom is like. So we then get interesting miracles, uh, and uh, we we get uh, confrontations with evil spirits. And uh, if you read Mark, you'll find that Mark really does pile on the detail. So it's not just, oh, it's an evil spirit, but there's a man in a graveyard who they've tried to tie up because he's so dangerous. They've tried tying him and they've tried chaining him and, and whatever they do, it's beyond them. We were, we were talking this morning about circumstances that are beyond you and about how are you more than conquerors. You're more than conquerors through him. Read Mark's gospel. See what demons do in the face of Jesus. Oh, you're stuck in a storm. You think you're going to die. Load of, load of sailors who know the ropes are in a boat. They've never seen anything like it. They think they're going to die. And Jesus is asleep. Jesus is asleep. They wake him and say, we're going to die. We're going to die. And he just says, quiet, be still. That's what God's kingdom is like. There's nothing in nature that, that can overwhelm you. In fact, when Revelation talks about heaven, it says there's not even going to be any sea, so don't be afraid of things like that. What about sickness? Mark introduces us to a lady who's had a, a disease for 12 years, and she's had the best medical help. In fact, she's spent all her money on the best medical help, and rather than get better, what? She's got worse. And all she has to do is reach out and touch the hem of his cloak, and she's instantly healed. Or there's a 12 year old girl who dies. The dad didn't know that she was going to die, so he runs to get Jesus and says, come quick, my, my, my daughter is very, very ill. Maybe if you come in time, she can be healed. And when they get to the house, people come out and say, sorry, you're too late. Do you think you're in a situation that is too late for Jesus? Is it too late? It's beyond hope. And when people say trust Jesus, they laugh. Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. This is what the kingdom of Jesus, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like. And as we move on through, through Mark's Gospel, we see this amazing situation of need. 5,000 empty stomachs. You know the story. It's a wonderful Sunday school story, isn't it? How many loaves of bread did they have? No. Back of the room. Five. <laughs> and two fish. Five loaves and two fish. And he feeds 5,000. And what does it say then? They all ate and were satisfied. The kingdom of heaven isn't about making do and just gritting your teeth and getting there. It's about eating and being satisfied to the point where there's baskets left over because everyone's had more than enough. That's the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus is on a mission. He's heading somewhere. And on the way, Mark chapter 8, he says, Who do people say I am? 
And they say, some say a prophet, some say Elijah, maybe John the Baptist, come back from the dead. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. Then what happens? He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days rise again. Whoopee, says Peter. No, Peter says, no way. That will never happen to you. We like your kingdom as it is. Thank you very much. This talk of you dying, uh, stop that. You'll scare people. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So when you come to Jesus, whose idea of Jesus do you have? Do you have the idea that the gospel writers want you to have? Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Uh, Jesus that will give me everything I want, like a celestial Father Christmas. Or do you have Jesus, the King, who is on a mission to establish his kingdom. He will be crowned. He will be enthroned. People will see his glory, but it's going to be on his terms. We beheld his glory, John says. Don't be put off like Peter was by the death of Jesus. John says... It's glorious. So they make their way down the road after Peter's had a bit of a telling off and there's this amazing event called the Transfiguration where he takes Peter and John and uh, James up the mountain and this amazing thing happens where they see Jesus like they've never seen him before. And Peter gets into a bit of flap um, I know, let's, uh, let's make some tents and stay here. A bit like New Day, really. Um, and again, a voice comes from heaven. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And they come down the mountain, and there's chaos. And Jesus deals with the chaos. And then he says again, 9 verse 31, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. But they didn't understand and were afraid to ask. So instead, they started talking about who's the greatest. Well, I actually think it's quite a good sermon this week, uh, better than John's last week and certainly better than Nigel's a few weeks ago. Um, Faced with Jesus telling them that he was going to die, they they just lose it. They, they, They just don't seem to get it. But it's important that we get it. Because to Jesus, it's the central event. The gospel is an event. As Christ died. And we move on. You think by now they would get it. Isn't this lovely? A rich young man. You imagine this. We've got a few empty seats here. Uh, It'd be nice to have them filled with a few rich young men, wouldn't it? He's a, a rich 
young man comes running up to Jesus, says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you think, we haven't even got to do any pre-evangelism. The guy knows the basics of the gospel. He needs eternal life. And uh, he knows that Jesus is good. And uh, what does Jesus do? He says, why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. And if we're listening, we can hear a lot of things that Jesus is saying between the lines about who he is and how this rich young ruler isn't as good as perhaps he thinks he is. One of the tests, I think, as you you come to the Gospels is to put yourself in there and say, who in here do I am I like? How do I interact with Jesus? How does he deal with people like me? Uh, that's one of the reasons we have the Gospels. It's, it's displaying the kingdom of, of, of God, uh, but it's showing us what kind of saviour Jesus is and how he relates to us and on what basis. Where do you see yourself in that? At the end of this, the young man goes away. I think we would run after them and say, actually, you know that thing about you know, selling your goods and giving to the poor? We can relax that in your case because you're obviously good and young. And um, No, in this story, this guy goes away sad because he has many possessions. And Jesus doesn't run after him because Jesus is building his own kingdom on his own terms. If you don't want the terms, then you can't have Jesus. And uh, James and John don't get it either. Mark chapter 10, verse 35, they come up to Jesus and say, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Um, Nigel does this to me sometimes. He says, uh, uh, Phil, could could you do a favour for me? And it's sort of like you're going to say yes before you know what the favour is. Um, He does do that, doesn't he? Yes. Is that how he proposed? (laughs) 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 You do me a favour? You're going to marry me. (laughs) (laughs) we want you to do for us whatever we ask well i I suppose if you realize that jesus is the king of the kingdom that he's the king of kings and lord of lords that he's going to go to jerusalem and sort things out once and for all and in the sense it's exactly what he's going to do then we'd like you to do whatever we ask and we're your best pals And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Have you ever had somebody say that to you when you've asked them for something? If you knew what you were asking, you wouldn't ask for that. Can you drink the baptism I'm going to be baptised with? Didn't you hear what I just said? We're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death, deliver him over to the Gentiles and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him and after three days he will rise. We'd like you to do whatever we ask. Really? And then there's the triumphal entry. And Jesus says, I've come to my temple. Let's see what condition it's in. And he's appalled. This house should be called a house of prayer for the nations, but you've made it a den of robbers. And he turns them out. Suddenly... The Lord has come to his temple. This isn't what I had in mind, he says. My kingdom is very different to this. My gospel is for the nations. Isn't it exciting to have so many of the nations in this room? And to cut a long story short, 
There's all sorts of opposition and discussions with religious people and eventually Jesus silences them all. And then there's the plot to arrest him and kill him. There's a trial at which Jesus is shown to be completely innocent. And what he said would happen, would happen, did happen. And it's all under his control. He gives himself up to them. My Bible says Pilate delivers Jesus to be crucified, but actually Jesus delivers himself to be crucified because they can't do anything until he gives the word. And they do what he said. They mock him, they flog him, and they lead him out to crucify him. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it, and they crucified him. We don't need Mel Gibson at this point. Mark is very brief in what he says. There they crucified him. Mark, like John, has only told us what we need to know. John says, lots of other stuff happened that isn't written in this book, but these things are written so that you know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in believing, have life in his name. So Mel Gibson and other portrayals of the trial, scourging, and the crucifixion of Jesus aren't actually that helpful to us at this moment. The main thing is we get that Jesus handed himself over to them and they crucified him. The things that Mark wants us to see are very much the things that the other gospel writers want us to see. And there is an inscription over his head that says, the king of the Jews. And such he is. They don't know the irony of the things they've written. Herod has his feast in Mark chapter 4, and it results in him murdering the last of God's prophets, John the Baptist. Jesus has his feast in the very next chapter and feeds 5,000 people and they are satisfied. He even makes him sit down on the green grass by the still waters. This is the king of Israel. This is the king of the kingdom. And he is now enthroned. We sing about it. This is Jesus in his glory. King of heaven dying for me. It is finished. He has done it. Death is beaten. Heaven beckons me. Christ died. It's an event in history. You could have been there and you would have seen it. You could have been in the crowd shouting, crucify him. That's what everyone else was doing. It's an event in history. It happened. And it is the pinnacle of the gospel. It is the event And it is the theme of heaven. Do you see it that way? Do you see it that way? And if you were to articulate the gospel to someone else, would you explain it in those terms? Would you say, this is the gospel. This is good news. This is the king of heaven dying for me to establish his kingdom. Let's pray. Do you want to stand? Jesus, lover of our souls, all-consuming 
fire is in your gaze. Jesus, we want you to know we're going to follow you all our days. No one else in history is like you. History itself belongs to you. Alpha and Omega, you've loved us. You've brought us into your kingdom and we will spend eternity with you and the Father because you died to bring us to God. That event in history that so many people want to push under the carpet and hide and talk about anything other in the gospel is what you came to do. And Lord Jesus, you are glorious. Lord Jesus, we want to go from here as people who are sure of their God, who, as Nigel encouraged us earlier, are more than conquerors. Jesus, you're the great serpent crusher that was promised way back in Genesis chapter 3. And yet Paul can say that God will soon crush Satan's head under our feet because we are in you. And so, Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the price you paid. And we want to cry, worthy is the lamb that was slain. We want to see more of you in your glory. We want to see you and be transformed into your likeness as we gaze on you in your glory. So we thank you for John and we thank you for Mark and Luke and Matthew and all those people through history that have written these things down so that we can read about historic events and supremely about the cross, the event to end all events. Jesus, we thank you because of that. You have the name that is above every name. And we come and we bow, say, my Lord and my God.